Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now, please enjoy our sermon at Church on the Hill. Well, before I get started, I just want to simply uh, give a good shout out to Pastor Scott and to in a world where change is constant, to have someone to be faithfully committed to a place is rare. And the fact that he's chosen to stay here in a place that is needing the truth of the gospel for so long is such a beautiful testimony. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Pastor Josh. I've actually known Josh most of my life. Um, I have many funny stories I could share with him. But I am very grateful for his love, his compassion for Jesus, and how, and many times in my life, has helped point me to him in seasons. And so I'm super grateful for that uh, and for them, uh, those men. Uh, let me pray real quick, and we're going to dive in. Lord, we uh, come before you with thanks. Thank you, God, that we get to be in a place to gather <laughs> to worship you. And God, uh, as I was driving up here this morning, just looking around at the beautiful place you've planted this church, on mountaintop, would you continue to move in a place like this? God, you declare that a city on a hill cannot be pushed aside. It will be seen. And so, Lord, let your light shine in this church and in these people. Let your glory be magnified in a community that needs you so desperately. And, God, that your kingdom would continue to grow. So, God, we love you. We give you thanks for who you are. And you we pray. Amen. So you might not recognize this ancient, archaic piece of paper that's folded up, but this is called a map. And up to about 15 years ago, this is how you navigated the world. And to get anywhere in life, you needed to learn how to read one of these. Now, growing up, my grandfather would often take me into his um, stu- or office, and he'd unlay a map, and he'd help me navigate and learn how to get places so that I wouldn't get lost. Now, the first thing you need to understand about maps is you need to make sure you know your destination, because if you don't have your destination, you will get lost, or you might just not have the right map. I mean, that's true today, right? If I was to go to my phone, which is somewhere over there, and I pull up my maps on it today, I could have my map open, but if I don't have a location I'm trying to get to, it's not going to be beneficial or helpful. And so the first thing I have to do is find my location. And so let's say today we're going to look for a location. And um, because I believe Pastor Josh is up in Tahoe area, we're going to do that. Stay. All right, and so the first thing we do is we find out where we're at, and this is, is our destination, right? We're going to call it here. And once you have your destination marked out, you then figure out where you are. And so we're here in San Jose, and so we're going to go figure out where San Jose is here. And then once you have that, you then find the roads that take you to where you're trying to go. Now, once you get to your destination, and once you get this map figured out, you have to do something with it. You can't just simply leave it at home. You can't simply just take a, a quick mental picture of it. You actually have to start to study it and know its roads and its ways. And ultimately, you need to then fold it up and bring it along in the journey so that you can look back upon it to know where you're going, 
to know what you're trying to get to and so that you won't get lost. Because the truth is people only get lost when they don't have clear directions. We will only become lost when we don't know where we're trying to go and if we're not taking the time to learn and to study and to ultimately figure out how to get to the place we're trying to get to. So today, we're going to spend time looking at how Jesus gave his disciples a map, a map of life, and ultimately, he tells them the destination, the directions, and how to do that, and he gives them then a declaration, something to do with that map once they've learned it. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, um, and we're going to be starting at verse 1, and as you're doing that, I just want to quickly share a little bit about myself. I have this thing called dyslexia. What that simply means is that my brain and my vocal cords like to fight one another, all right? And And that means is sometimes my brain will read something, but my voice will say something else, and that can oftentimes become a distraction. And so if that happens today, I apologize in advance. I swear I know what it, I, I'm reading, just my, my brain and my vocal cords like to fight, and oftentimes my vocal cords tend to win. But this is what it says, starting at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself And that where I am going, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. So from now on, do know him And you have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Wherever you have seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father wherever you ask in my name. This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I have been trained to read probably similarly to the ways that you have reading. And meaning that when it comes to reading books, especially specifically chapter books, that when we get to a new chapter, that means that everything beforehand has come to a completion, hence new chapter. And, and that is very beneficial and helpful for the times that we read today. But when we translate or like push that into our reading of our scriptures, that can oftentimes be problematic. And the reason for that is because chapters and verses were added later into the text so that we have the ability to reference something. It's exactly what I did tonight, like, hey, this morning, was, hey, 
Well, you turn with me to John chapter 14. Prior to this, you'd have to be like, hey, can you just kind of flip through the book a little bit? And eventually, we're going to look for a certain couple of words. And if you find those words, you're exactly where you need to be. That would take up most of the time that you were supposed to be there. (laughs) And so those things were added. And those things were added not at the end of thoughts, but rather at the end of scrolls, at the end of a paper, at the end of a page. And so oftentimes, we are actually picking up in the midst of something. And today is one of those times. And for us to truly understand why Jesus is telling his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled, we actually have to go back two chapters to understand why this is even being spoken. Because we are picking up in the midst of a dinner party. Not just any dinner party, the Last Supper. And the reason we know it's called the Last Supper is because we know the end of the story, but these men don't. And so for us to understand this text, let's try to quickly summarize a chapter and a half. So take a deep breath. (laughs) We're going to do it. So in chapter 13, we are told that Jesus goes to his disciples and says, we need to come and celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Now, the disciples are good Jews, and they would have loved to do this celebration. It was probably marked on their calendars, similar to ours as Christmas, because this is their major holiday. This is the day that God, that they were celebrating God's faithfulness to take them out of Egypt, and they had this big party to do it. And so the Jews would have been excited to have this, but the disciples probably didn't want to do it in Jerusalem. And the reason for that is at this point of Jesus's life, he's being hunted, He's trying to be killed, and the people trying to kill him are the religious people who live in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I had a friend, or if I specifically was being wrongfully hunted, I don't think I'm going to go to that person's backyard, right? Oh, maybe some of you will, I guess, because... You're all just looking at me. Um, No, I wouldn't. I'd be going the direct opposite way. Or if I really had to get to that place, I would want to go discreetly into it. But that's not what happened either. It says that as they are coming into Jerusalem, there's a party that's happening. There's this massive parade. People are cheering Hosanna. It is very evident that Jesus is in Jerusalem. And so we get a couple weeks, it's about a week after that, they get into this place and they're going to take the time to celebrate together this meal and they go into what is called this upper room. And when they get there, you've got to imagine on some level that there's a little bit of anxiety already in the midst of Jesus' followers. Jesus is now in the space where people are trying to hunt him. It's been very evident that he's here. And so any move they make, they're probably worried that something is going to happen. And so we can imagine that as they're coming to this party that is meant to be cheerful and joyous and celebratory, it's probably come with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress. Maybe they're not talking as loud because their walls aren't like our walls. They're kind of a little bit thin, you know, thinner and you can be heard. But it says that as they get to this table and they're sitting around in chapter 13, that as Jesus was talking, or as they were just sitting amongst themselves, Jesus gets the knowledge that his time is coming to an end. Now, a lot of people get caught up in how did Jesus know, but that's not the point of the text. It's rather what Jesus does with the knowledge. He says that when he gets the knowledge that his time's coming to an end, he gets off the table, he starts to walk over to a space. He starts to strip off his clothes, 
to be in appropriate work attire, which it grabs a bucket, a, a jar, a towel, and slowly walks back to the table. And he gets to the table, he starts to go to the feet of the disciples and starts to clean them. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I was at a, if you guys came over to my house this evening and we're just hanging out, having small talk, and all of a sudden you got up, walked into my bathroom, grabbed cleaning supplies and started cleaning my toilet, I would be very uncomfortable. Why? Because I've already done it. Like if I'm having someone over to my house, I've done some type of cleaning to get ready for them. Now, it was custom in Jewish places to that when you entered into a space, you washed your feet so that you didn't allow the, the filth of outside enter into the home. So Jesus is coming and cleaning the feet that have already been cleansed. And Peter, one of his disciples, says, whoa, 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 you can't clean my feet. And Jesus says, no, I have to. I have to clean you, otherwise you can't be a part of me. And he goes, well, then wash everything. Give me a bath. And he's like, no, Peter. There's no extra cleaning. There's just one. So he goes and cleans all their feet, and then he says these words to them. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. No servant is greater than their master, so do the same. So after all of that, which I don't know about you guys, but that would make my head start to spin. He goes, oh, hey, by the way, just to let you know, someone in this small, intimate circle is going to betray me. Those enemies that you're afraid of, one of you is going to give them to me, give, them over, uh, give me over to them. After he says that, he then says, oh, hey, by the way, I'm leaving, and none of you can follow. Then Peter goes, whoa, whoa, wait, hold on a second. There's nowhere in the world you can't go that I won't go. And, Peter said, and he, Jesus looks upon him in front of everyone and says, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny me three times. Three times. I don't know about you guys, but if that was my dinner party, I would be like, all right, what a great night. (laughs) See you guys later. I think I'm going to bed. That was so much content in such a short amount of time. And yet we're still in the midst of the story. They're still at the table. They're still there. And so it makes way more sense than why in verse one, it says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because their hearts were troubled. They were fearful and overwhelmed with what was happening in their world and and all of the things that have just happened. And Jesus speaks directly to them and says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be fearful. And he goes, and he says to them, why? Because I'm going to the Father's house. And so he says to them, do not let your, your hearts be troubled. Ultimately, what Jesus does is he's showing them this map and saying, I'm giving you the destination, which is the first part on on your text, which is that I am going to. And if you're in the room, you probably are thinking to yourself to heaven. Because at least that's when I was growing up. That's what most people assumed was the reason why where Jesus was going. That was the thing that would give them peace. But let's look at what the text tells us. Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, don't be anxious because I'm going to heaven. He says, rather, don't be anxious because I'm going to the 
Uh, I'll try again. The, the father. I'm a call and response, so I know this might be new, but entertain me. I'm the guest, right? He's going where? The father's house. And, and so we go, go on. And when, when Thomas is asking the question, hey, I don't understand. Can you give me clarity? What does Jesus say to him? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to, the, to heaven. No, he says to the father. And what does Philip then say? Does he say, well, then show us heaven? No, what does he say? Show us the Father. What Jesus is ultimately declaring here is that the, the, the map that we're trying to hold, the destination that we're trying to get to is the Father. You probably can't read that, but I wrote Father. It's to the Father. And too often in our world, in our lives, we get caught up in the things of this world rather than the creator of the world. Now, this is the story of Scripture. In in the beginning parts of Genesis, it says that God was walking amongst us, humanity, in the garden. That he wanted relationship with us. He wanted community with us. He was walking and talking with us. But then sin enters into the world. We chose to reject God, which put eternal separation from him. And God easily could have turned his back upon us. Instead, he says, I'm going to do everything I can to reunite myself to you. to reunite myself to you. You see, what Jesus was helping these Israelite men who've been so focused on a destination to realize the destination is not as important as the creator of the destination. I think if we're honest, too many of us get caught up in that too. We get caught up on the things that God can provide rather than God himself. We get caught up on the things that he can give us or that we can gain from him instead of saying, Lord, you are the most important, greatest thing I could ever be searching for, receive, or get. And so what Jesus is helping his his friends in his last moments of his life on earth is to help them see the destination is the Father. Is the Father. Now, Thomas hears these words and, and says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, Thomas gets a bad rap in, throughout the church history. Many times in church history, people look upon Thomas and say, oh, he's, he's doubting Thomas. And the reason for this is this passage, he's like, well, how, show us the way. Or um, they say that because later on in Scripture, when Jesus reveals himself to his disciples, Thomas wasn't there, and he says, well, I'm not going to believe you saw a dead guy until I see him. I don't know about you guys, but I would be exactly like Thomas. Like if one of you came up to me and said, hey, I saw a dead guy, I'd be like, "Uh, 411, I need someone to come check on a friend. (laughs) I think something's off. But what, as I've studied Thomas more, the more I've, I pray that myself, my family, and all of the church starts to live like Thomas. And that he, they take their doubts, their questions, their fears towards 
Jesus. Because what Thomas is saying is, Lord, I need clarity because I don't understand what you're doing. And and God says to him, okay. He doesn't condemn him and he doesn't ridicule him. He doesn't say, how dare you? He says, I will give you clarity. But for many of us, our doubts and our fears, we take them to wine, to the stock market, to relationships, to shopping, to porn, to other areas and say, I'm uncomfortable. I don't understand. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to put my doubts, my fears to the thing that might provide me comfort. Instead, Thomas says, I know the one who will give me the ultimate comfort. And so I'm going to ask him for clarity. See, questions of faith. I think someone needs to hear this today. Questions of faith are not the lack of faith, but rather faith at work. What you are saying is, God, I want more understanding of your character and your ways. Disbelief is the lack of faith, saying you no longer exist. Questions of faith are evidence of faith, because over and over again we see Scripture do tell us to ask. And so when, when Thomas asks the question, Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what Jesus is ultimately saying is he's giving him directions that it's himself. That the ultimate goal is to the Father, and to get there, you've got to go through Jesus. You have to get there through Jesus. Now, this is pretty hard for a lot of people in our day, that there's only one way to do that. And I know this is not the perfect analogy, but this is often the way that I talk to people about trying to understand this. Many of us live, uh, work in Silicon Valley, which means that a lot of the companies that we work for have uh, plants and businesses and things scattered across the earth. And let's just say your boss tomorrow comes to you and said, hey, there was something that happened in Germany this last weekend. I need you specifically to get there to go check in on them to make sure things can be figured out. I bought you a flight to get there. You're leaving this afternoon. You're not going to look at your boss and say, I want to drive. You're not going to get there. You're not going to tell your boss, I've got to get on a, a boat Because even then, like, you're not going to get to the final destination in time. See, ultimately, the only way that you or I are going to get to that space is if I get on the plane that's going to take me there and get me to my destination. Now, what is the beautiful promise of every airplane company? They all have the same exact promise, that they will always get you to your destination. Right? I'm leaving this week to go to Hawaii for a vacation with my family. When I get on the airplane in San Jose on Tuesday, I am not worried I'm going to end up in Texas. Why? Because the plane is promised to me is I'm going to get where? To Hawaii. What Jesus is telling his disciples is that if the, the destination is the Father... The way to get there is himself and his promises, you will get there. It's a promise that you will end up exactly where you are meant to be. That you will end up at the Father. So now Philip hears these words and and hears them and, and he says to him, well, Lord, then show us the Father and that'll be enough. 
See, what Philip does is what every human does at some point in their life. They're asking for one more sign. Asking for one more sign. Early on in scripture, we are told that when Jesus was out amongst people, he had fed them with, in essence, a lunchable, a couple pieces of bread and some fish, and, and feeds all these people. And the next day Jesus had left, they all come from him, and they come to him and say, give us another sign that you are the Messiah. And he's like, what do you mean another sign? I've already give, given you one. That, that's enough. But yet they still wanted more. And Philip here is saying, Lord, well, if you're truly the only way to the Father, well, then just can you just show us the Father? Ultimately, he's saying is show me one more thing. Now, I want to be very clear about something, is that asking God for clarity is not a problem. And asking God for signs is not a problem. It's just dependent on when you do it. There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Gideon where an angel appears to him and says, hey, you're going to go defeat an army. He's like, uh, what? Me? I've never done anything heroic in my life. I'm actually pretty cowardly. Show me a sign. Well, that was at the start of this journey. And Gideon doesn't ask for another one. Once he has received the clarity that he was given, he was obedient to what he was asked to do. But Philip is at the end of the ministry. He's seen countless things. He's saying, I just need simply one more thing. And even though Philip, I would say, is being more doubtful than Thomas, Jesus still responds in loving kindness. He says to him, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so in verse 10, he reveals how he is the way, the truth, and the life. He says to him first, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What he's ultimately saying is the reason why I am the way is because of my character, Philip. It's because of my character. I've done things that no human has done or will ever do again. When the temptation of sin was upon me, I chose to say no when every other human has said yes. The reason why I can say confidently I am the way is because of I'm doing what no one else can do. My character reveals I am the way. Then he says to him also in that verse that... Not only that, he says, then believe that the words that I say, I do not speak in my own authority. Or he's saying to him, not only am I the way because of my character, but the reason I am the truth is because I can declare things and have been declaring things that no one else has ever done and will ever will be. Hey, when I was a little boy, I went to the temple one time and I, people were, these adults who've been studying the scriptures for so long are looking upon me with wonder and awe because of the words I'm saying, because there was authority in me that they had never seen before. And they continued to do that time and time again. And especially those three years of ministry that you've been watching, Philip. And so can't you see that I'm the truth because of the things that I've spoken? And then he says, ultimately, he says, but the father who dwells in me does his work. And lastly, he says, because of my action. The reason I'm the life is because over the last three years, Philip, you've seen me wage a war, not on other humans, but on the thing that's destroying humans, sin. 
And you've seen me restore sight, heal the sick, actually physically bring people from death to life. My actions, Philip, have revealed my truth. So ultimately, what Jesus says is that he is the way to the Father. And so after all of this, then Jesus finally, the last thing is he gives them a declaration, something to do. He says in verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the work I do and greater work than these he will do because I am going to the father. Now, depending on your upbringing, this can be a pretty controversial verse uh, because it's saying, can you do something more or beyond what God can, what Jesus has done? And the answer is simply no. What Jesus did on that on the cross, something that no one else will ever do ever again. He defeated sin and death. That is the greatest miracle that Jesus has ever done, and it's a miracle that's been extended out to everyone and all people. It's a miracle that we get today. But what Jesus is ultimately saying is this, is that the work that you are going to do that's greater than the work that I can do is you're going to be able to show people this map and bring people along. The greater work is is that you're going to be able to take this truth and learn it and study it and spend time with it so that you can bring people there and upon it. And so the question then becomes is this, is do you know the map that you have? Do you know the map of life you're holding? I think for some of you, if you're very honest, the map that you're holding right now It's not the map of Christ or to the Father, the creator of heaven or earth. It's the map that says comfort. And you're going to pursue everything possible to make your life comfortable. And so that's the map you're holding is this map that says comfort on it. And you're believing that that's the the, the map that's going to help your life be the best it can possibly be. For some of you, it's probably success. For others of you, Maybe it's relationships. You've ultimately marked a destination and said, this is the thing that's going to give me the most help and the most need and the most comfort, and I'm going to pursue after that. And all of those things will fall short because there's only one creator of heaven and of earth, and he's the only one who can provide the satisfaction your heart desires. That's the declaration that God gives in John 10, 10, where he says that where the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life, life to the abundance. It's this map. Now, I also know there's probably people in this room that have said, I've heard this. And I've seen this map. And then and instead of taking it along in the journey, I've ultimately just put it in my back pocket and said, well, I know it. And I've hit it. And I've just continued to navigate my life thinking I'm following the directions. But I've become lost. This morning, I, I didn't actually have maps open because I've been to the church before. I've helped Pastor Josh before. And guess what happened? I got lost. I turned too soon because I thought I knew the directions. And instead of actually following the directions and pulling out my map and to be reminded of where I was supposed to go, I thought I knew it. And I got lost. See, Jesus, when he was on this earth, He wanted to make sure every single one of us had directions to where we were trying to get to. 
And he was revealing to us what we were trying to get to, which was the Father, not anything else. So as we take our time to close this morning, I'm just going to simply ask that you would be honest with your own heart. And you would take a moment just to think to yourself as we close in prayer and then as we take this time to lead in song, to answer the question, what map am I holding? Because it's Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. It is in Jesus that we find hope. People only get lost when they don't have clear directions. And Jesus has given you clear directions. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for who you are. God, thank you that you did not abandon us as we spent time here on earth, but ultimately came alongside us with clarity, with hope, with peace, with a vision. God, I pray that as we go about this week and this day and this season of life, that we would pursue after you. That we wouldn't allow our maps to be dusty, but to be thoroughly studied. That maybe for the very first time in our lives, we'd say yes to you and surrender and give up the other things that we've been pursuing to say you are the ultimate thing to pursue. So, Lord, we love you. We give you thanks for who you are. We worship you. Amen.